We've all heard leaders talk about diversity and inclusion, but are we making meaningful progress? Hello and welcome to our podcast, Transforming Business with Minta Ellison, ideas and challenges that are shaping our future. The business case for diversity and inclusion at the top of our corporations has been soundly made and plenty of leaders have issued rallying cries to do better. But many boards and executive teams in Australia remain predominantly male, middle-aged and of Anglo-Saxon descent. The voices of investors have joined the chorus for change, including our industry superannuation funds. They've sent a clear message to corporate Australia that investment decisions will be influenced by performance on diversity and inclusion and broader ESG issues. But when it comes to these matters, actions speak louder than words. So the million dollar questions are, can things really change? Will Australia's leaders make good on their promises? And how can we make sure that today's diversity commitments deliver a sustained impact tomorrow? To explore these questions and more, we caught up with Debbie Blakey, CEO of HESTA, a superannuation fund for those who provide health, education and community services. And who better to conduct this virtual interview than Minta Ellison board member and workplace partner Amanda Watt, who offers a wealth of experience in workplace strategies and law. So here's Debbie and Amanda's conversation. So I was going to start by um, obviously talking about the Hester Super Fund, which has you know $52 billion in assets. So as an investor, you have a very strong voice. And what I'd be interested for you to talk about now is what you see as the ESG drivers of shareholder value and how you think diversity and inclusion features in those drivers. Thank you, Amanda, and lovely to be part of this discussion and on such an important issue. So first of all, to be very clear, I think it's important to acknowledge that as a super fund, our purpose and our focus is on maximising returns for members. It's very important to give that context to all of the work we do in terms of environmental and social factors. And as an investor, given that focus um, in the way that we invest, we do work constructively with boards and with management to protect and to enhance the long-term sustainable value of the companies we invest in. And, and important also to acknowledge that our time frame is long. We are a long-term investor because people are invested in super for 20, 30, 40 years. And these environmental social governance issues can play out very significantly over the long term. And I think that's why it gives us a, such a deep interest as an investor. So the issues are very broad. And, and quite honestly, they, they evolve. I think they evolve to some extent in terms of society's expectations. They evolve uh, to some extent with respect to social license to operate. But diversity and inclusion is a very big part of that. And, and part of that is, is also the core of who we are at HESTA, the fact that over 80% of our members are women, the fact that our members care about these issues, 
But also, to be really frank, the fact that there is an enormous body of evidence that these issues matter in terms of company performance, and I look forward to talking more about that. That's that's a lovely segue, Debbie, to my next question, which was, I think lots of people consider that gender diversity is a soft skill and it's a non-financial risk. From listening to you, I'm, I'm going to guess that you think it's a financial risk. Can you tell us about what informs your view on that issue? Yeah, that's a, that's a great question. And look, there's so many dimensions to the impact of a lack of diversity in leadership. And not having that diversity, I think it does expose a company to financial risk. And I'd love to talk around how we get to that conclusion. I think it goes to the core of culture and a lack of employee engagement, the inability to attract and retain amazing talent, Um, And in particular, the talent of the future. It's not just the talent of today. It's the talent of the future. And I think it also goes more broadly to societal expectations. But all of these factors can detract from the long-term value of companies and the long-term value creation. And so we do look at gender diversity very much as a financial risk. And I think this is emerging thinking globally, that um, there is such a great body of evidence that really we do want to turn this, um, turn our thinking to this as a financial risk. There's there's probably just one piece, as I say, so much, but I'm obviously not going to rattle off 10 different pieces of research, but there is one I will refer to, and it's the Bankwest Curtains Economic Centre and Workplace Gender Equality Agency research, which actually revealed that profitability, performance, and productivity increase under diverse leadership. And they actually quantified it. They, they actually identified the uplift in terms of market value that diversity and leadership brings. So I think that's very important for us to have those, those sound research pieces that in a sense we can draw a line in the sand and say this is a financial issue. And if I may say thinking more broadly about the future, COVID is, is giving us an incredible shift in this area. And it is about the future organizations, the future success, organizations that will be resilient, adaptable, able to adjust to a changing environment. And our thinking is that diversity and leadership will set organizations up more strongly in terms of that shift. So, Debbie, I know you're a person who puts your money where your mouth is, and Hester has uh, recently announced the 4040 Vision Programme which is about improving diversity at the executive level for ASX-listed companies. And in fact, Mintra Ellison strongly believes in that as well. We have a similar goal, and I'm really pleased to let everyone know that um, we are shortly to um, approach 33% female partnership globally, which is great. This program is about structural change. And so what I wanted to ask you was how do organisations embed diversity and inclusion programs and goals such as the 4040 Vision Program so that we can sustain improvements in diversity over the long term? Amanda, first of all, congratulations to Minta Ellison. I just think it's fantastic to see you having that goal, but also the incredible success you are having in terms of that drive. So really congratulations from all of us at HESTA. We have this 4040 Vision Program as a a very exciting program of ours, and it is aimed to achieve gender balance of ASX 200 companies by 2030. So a few things to be clear about. First of all, it's actually an investor-led initiative. 
And I think that that's very important and it has the support of very prominent investors and in fact, representing over $4 trillion in assets under management or advice. So it is very significant, the support that the program's given. And it goes back to that issue of seeing lack of gender diversity as a key financial risk. And that's why this large group of investors are, are prepared to get behind this. But from a structural point of view, I, I think the first thing that is really important is for investors like Hester to use our voice in support of that structural change. Because if this transformation is is not led and put on the table very strongly by investors, I'm not sure who's going to do it. They're, you know, there are companies that are doing amazing things. Like you've spoken about Minta Ellison, but there's certainly a lot of companies that are not. And I think this issue has been on the table for far too long. And this is our opportunity to have a target and to actually see companies supporting it and actually developing their own targets. So part of it is actually calling on companies to set interim targets for 2023 and 2027 and to report their progress against those and to report that transparently. So I think the structural change, I think, first of all, it's about having the will to do it bringing that focus through the support of all these investors and then bringing that accountability framework for companies to report their own progress. And, you know, we do understand this is different for different companies. Different companies have different challenges in terms of how they deal with this. So we're not being prescriptive in how they do it, but we're asking them to be accountable in terms of their focus. Just listening to you then, Debbie, and I, I've see, I observe this in um, corporate Australia it really is important, isn't it, that there is a, a big momentum now towards um, corporate Australia being transparent about how they are, you know, leading in their workplaces when they've got problems calling them out and what they're doing about it because that's the accountability, isn't it? Yeah, Amanda, that's a great observation. I totally agree with you. There is this shift. I think some of the things we've seen over the last year, some of the poor behaviour or lack of transparency um, has really brought this to the fore. And I think it also goes to the alignment of words and actions. You know, as an investor, we rely so significantly on the disclosure of companies. We read gender reports. We read reconciliation action plans. And we rely on those to identify what the companies are doing. So when we find a gap between what they have disclosed and what they're actually doing, that obviously is of very significant concern to us. So I think you're right that the bar has been raised in terms of transparency, but also really in terms of, of that potential credibility gap between what companies publish as their, their words and what they actually do. And I think that probably leads into the next topic I'd like to raise with you, which is about the quality of our leadership in this country. Because I, I have a strong view that if we're really to unleash the potential of our people so they can bring their best selves to work every day, we need inclusive leaders who can create psychological safety. So I'd be really interested in your comments on the attributes of leaders at board and executive level and, and how those qualities are needed to engender safe, diverse and equal cultures. Look, I think it starts for me with awareness. And I say that because I think it's in part self-awareness, but it's definitely organizational awareness and actually being aware of where we are supporting and contributing to an inclusive culture, but also very importantly, being aware of where we're not. What are the practices of our organizations? What are our barriers? 
And actually, this can be quite um, difficult. It can be quite uncomfortable. And if I speak personally about Hester, we, we have a very deep commitment to gender diversity, to broader diversity, and to inclusion. We have had very strong gender diversity at a, an executive or board level for a very long time. But we still have to find the heart and the will to stop, to pause, and to question what are the, the practices, what are the ways of working at Hester that don't support that inclusion, don't support that safe um, psychological safety, etc. So I think that's the first thing is really good self-awareness and being prepared to drive a culture of self-awareness. I think another one for me is, is courage and the need for courageous leadership and the ability to call out, call out the behaviours and ensuring that you have such a strong commitment to the right behaviours in terms of diversity and inclusion. And being prepared to call out, you know, the people who don't support that. I think sometimes organizations get themselves into trouble where, you know, there are people who are known to do the wrong thing, but kind of ignored. And I think that tolerance of inappropriate behavior is, is very significant. And the last one I, I would mention, I think, has been very purposeful. And, and that's actually the work of 4040 Vision, is I think leaders who understand that this is not something that just happens. This is something we have to be focused and purposeful about every day that we are supporting inclusion, that we're looking around our workplaces and saying, you know, where are the gaps? Where are the issues that are the sacred cows? What, what are the things that we can bring to the fore in terms of having a far deeper commitment to um, inclusion? I think that's really important comments that you've made there, Debbie. And I think another word I would use there is the importance of leaders being role models. You know, the ability of people to look up and see, you know, who they want to be. And I think then when people see, as you say, leaders calling things out or, or not letting it pass them by, it gives that psychological safety to others, not to just be bystanders, doesn't it? And I think just builds that whole momentum of having a better workplace. It does. It really does. I, I totally agree with you and I, Think in the hurly-burly of life when leaders are also so busy. We, we need to build time and to reflect on this because you're absolutely right. It is about people are watching us. People are watching leaders all the time and to be thoughtful about what is the image you're projecting and how are you going as a role model. I think that's really important. And you've just prompted me then to think about that people are watching the bad behaviour, aren't they? And so when, when that's not acted on, or if it's acted on badly, I think sometimes leaders forget that's having an impact on the other good people that are around watching as well. So it's not just isolated to that particular incident, it's actually having a, it reverberates um, in its impact. It does reverberate. I totally agree. And I, I think if I think of um, the leaders who are doing well and the leaders are not, something I find quite interesting is obviously we have amazing leaders in Australia, many of whom are so committed to, to inclusion and so committed to having the right culture. But I think what is interesting is that there, there doesn't seem to be anyone left anymore who speaks out publicly against diversity. So everyone is a believer. But I think what we see emerging sometimes is, in a sense, passive aggressive behavior, where although people might publicly support it and, you know, pretend that they, they're on board, their behavior is in that passive aggressive way undermining and I think we need to really be calling that out. I personally feel that's the challenge for the next chapter. Now that everyone is supposedly a believer, 
to be really calling out that um, that lack of alignment, as you say, in terms of what they're doing. And it probably also leads us on to the next topic I wanted to talk about, which is as a workplace lawyer over many years, I've seen how power imbalance at the top contributes to how sexual harassment occurs, It's how it's viewed and how it's managed. And I believe that if there was greater diversity at the top of our organisations, the extent of sexual harassment and our response to it would be different. So I'm interested on your views on this topic, um, Debbie, and I might sort of um, invite you to um, comment now and I'll ask you a few more follow-up questions after that. Amanda, I totally agree with you. And I think the power imbalance at the top is certainly exacerbated by a lack of gender equality in leadership. And power imbalance contributes so significantly to negative workplace cultures. I, I think we know that. And in those negative workplace cultures, I think sexual harassment and misconduct is, is often not only tolerated, but sometimes even perpetuated. And this does have such a, a broad impact in terms of being able to attract and retain amazing people. And of course, that means it becomes such a vicious cycle because you're battling to retain the right people and you hence have the wrong people going into leadership roles in terms of tolerating bad behaviours. And I think too, Debbie, what's sometimes forgotten too is the massive impact of sexual harassment to productivity and also the well-being of our people. Because in my, in my experience, in, in the case of you know, egregious sexual harassment by senior people, a person, when they complain, that's often really at the end of their tether. You know, they have really often endured it for a long time because they really just want their um, conduct to stop and they don't want their career to be impacted. So by the time you have a complaint, you have someone who's often very damaged by the conduct. And if you think about it, when they're sort of stealing themselves to come to work every day, not knowing what's going to happen, their ability um, to be productive and innovative is really lost because they're in fight or flight mode for that time. So I think a conversation in Australia acknowledging the real personal impacts and also the impacts on the people watching, as we've talked about before, and the consequences for our businesses and productivity, it's, it's a really big issue for this country, which I, you know, I'm heartened to see you know, investors and the community calling for change. Mm. Oh, that's very, um, Golly, that's very insightful, actually, Amanda. I think it's so important to stop in situations like this and, and also just reflect it's people's lives, people's lives that have changed so dramatically and the enormous responsibility we have as leaders to ensure that these things are not happening. And I think leaders in our organisations, but also from Hester's perspective, investors in those companies. So I'd like to um, sort of tap into your network now. As a, as a leader, you, you would talk to lots of other leaders. So when you're talking about the importance of diversity at board and C-suite level, what are they telling you about the barriers to improving diversity? I, I think there are two categories, if I can talk broadly. I, I think the first, I call them the mythical barriers. The things that traditionally were put up that were barriers that I really think we just have to, you know, discount completely. I mean, first of all, sometimes a very limited and restricted definition of what leadership is, you know, that we look for leaders who are particularly in technical companies where the thinking around the skills and attributes of good leaders is so limited that I think it really limits the pool of talent. And quite honestly, I think it limits the, um, the progress and success of the company. 
I think the other one worth mentioning is probably not said, but just a general view that if you're in very senior leadership in organizations, you need to be available to be in the office behind a desk 24-7. And of course, one of the things we love about COVID is that it has completely shattered that because some of the biggest, most successful global companies have been led by people working in their dining rooms. So uh, I think that it's so good in this post-COVID world and so exciting, actually, that we're now going to talk about the real barriers rather than these very mythical barriers that I just don't think actually ever were real barriers. The the barrier I think is is most significant is actually mindset and having a very rigid mindset about capabilities, about leadership, about experience, about how we work, about what we reward. I think that a limited mindset is the biggest barrier. And I think what's needed is a very expansive growth mindset about the future of the organization, about the leadership we need for that future. And actually, we we are thinking more deeply at HESTA. If there are, there are companies in Australia that have really not embraced the benefits of gender diversity at leadership level, they, they have no interest in leaning in and embracing that and changing their ways. We actually question how those companies will be successful in the future because I think society's expectations have shifted. The expectations of investors, customers, consumers have shifted. And if we think of what's needed for future success, I I would question that companies that have been so lacking in adaptability in such a key area would have the necessary resilience and adaptability for the future. So I think it it really, for us, the, the major mindset, and we do hear a lot from other leaders about this, is mindset. When you were talking then, I was thinking how important it is also for um, leadership to listen to its people and invite their ideas and innovation, which I think COVID's also taught us because um, that top-down approach is just not going to do it anymore, is it? Yeah, Amanda, I think that's such a great observation. And I think it's one of the things that we really are reflecting on is what COVID has done in terms of flattening organisations and bringing voices um, to the fore. It's, it's very interesting, this very virtual world, gathering in Zoom meetings rather than in person, and what it has done in terms of lifting voices across organisations. So I'm really excited about the opportunity that gives us to continue that, and internally in our organisations, work out how we celebrate and keep that. And I think as investors, there are conversations with other organisations about the shift in culture through this um, lifting of voices that you talk about. It's actually very exciting for the future. Debbie, you've also, um, you talked earlier about the fact that, you know, of your 870,000 members, 80% are are women. What do you learn from your members about the challenges that women face in fully participating in the workplace? And what levers do you think are necessary to overcome those challenges? What are they telling you? Amanda, so not only are over 80% of our members women, but of course, as the, the fund for health and community sector workers, we, um, there is so much we can learn from our members and, and really, especially during the last two years, probably, but their stories are such an inspiration to us. And um, they are the forefront in terms of dealing with deep social issues. I mean, a good example is bushfires where, of course, in the community and the health sector, they've been at the forefront in dealing with the fallout. 
and of course COVID, where they have been at the forefront in dealing with that pandemic. But I think it it does give us at HESTA such a sense of our responsibility to advocate and support them to have a better financial future and really the, the future that they deserve in terms of spending their career caring for others. So we do have a, a strong responsibility to use our voice. We talk about ourselves as gutsy advocates on behalf of our members. And I think it does go to looking at some of the structural issues that actually make it very difficult for women. So just as an example, I'm sure you're aware of the significant gender gap in retirement for women in Australia, and that currently women retire with about 40% less than men. So these are very significant issues, and I think it's good to unpack what is behind this, what are the building blocks we could address. And I think there's some really key ones, for example, quality and affordable childcare. So there's some very key issues that our members are very thoughtful about, and we can get tremendous insights into improving their lives, but very importantly, improving their financial outcomes. And I can't agree more with how important that is, because I know there's, there is research which has been around for quite some time now, I think. You know, women in general tend to live longer than men, and really, without that financial security, we're really asking our, um, you know, more than 50% of our population, a lot of them to live in poverty when they're at their most vulnerable at the end of their lives. So I just um, really applaud the work you're doing in that space. I think it's so important. Yeah, thank you, Amanda. It is important. I, You know, it's, it's so good to reflect that I, I think we have such an amazing super system. There's, um, there, there's actually a, a piece of global work, the Mercer CFA Institute Global Pension Index, which rates the systems of 39 countries. And Australia actually comes in fourth. We're only beaten by Denmark, the Netherlands and Israel. So we have this incredible system, pension system. But we do see this issue of gender and the different experience between men and women in terms of their, their outcomes in, in retirement as almost the unfinished business of our system. And we would love to see reform because you're absolutely right. The vulnerability of women in their later years is very concerning for us as a country. And we believe there are system changes that we could use to address that. But I also always would like to finish up with asking you whether there's anything else you'd like to say. You've talked a lot about COVID and the opportunities it has presented to us. It's not all been bad. Is there anything else you'd like to comment on before we close today? Amanda, got it. That's a lovely, very broad question. Look, first of all, just thank you for this opportunity. I, I love um, the, the network of people across Australia, in particular women, who are bringing such strong voices on this issue and really value this opportunity to add my voice to the incredible conversations that you are having and that you are driving. Look, I guess for me, what the final thing is, we have an opportunity over the next decade to let the 2020s, this next decade, just to be life-changing in terms of how we embrace diversity, how we embrace inclusion and how we actually become one of the global leaders. I think we have an opportunity as such an incredible country to really deal with these issues, put them at the forefront, and let's move the move the agenda forward and, and really make a difference for the lives of all Australians and, and all Australian women. Thank you for being an inspiring leader. Um, very grateful. And thank you so much for your time today. It's, I've, just, I've had the best time. Thanks, Debbie, very much. Thank you, Amanda. Thank you.
That was Hester CEO Debbie Blakey in conversation with Minter Ellison's Amanda Watt. For more information about these issues and more, visit MinterEllison.com forward slash podcasts. If you enjoyed this podcast, please remember to subscribe so that you don't miss any future episodes. And you can rate, comment and listen to our previous episodes on Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen to your podcasts. In the meantime, thanks very much for listening and goodbye for now. Bye.